Hey, this is Joel Allen, the host of Biblical Conversations, honest conversation about difficult aspects of the Bible. Biblical Conversations is an invitation to a new way of thinking about Scripture. Typically, we come to Scripture looking for answers or to find wisdom, the Word of the Lord, or to find insight into the human condition. And while those are great questions to ask of Scripture, this podcast is about a new way of thinking about the Bible, a new way of looking at Scripture as an extended series of conversations, biblical conversations, conversations that are often in conflict and just as often finding conflict resolution. The Bible, like Jesus himself, is fully human and fully divine. And here we're going to explore the human side of this equation as a portal to deeper appreciation and deeper insight into the Bible as the very Word of God. The Bible was written by many different people with different ideas and different agendas. The authors of Scripture were people like you and me about the task of understanding this Yahweh who led them up out of Egypt and into the land of promise and who comes to us in the person of Jesus, our Christ. The Bible, as a fully human document, conveys ideas about God that are in conflict with other ideas about God in the Bible. The Bible is a human story about how these ancient people of faith with conflicting notions and competing understandings learned how to resolve conflicts and develop communities built on shalom. And this is why this is so important. We still live in community and we still have conflict, conflict that's getting worse by the day. We still seek shalom. We need to find shalom, God's peace. There's an art to learning to live within the bonds of peace and by divine grace in blessed community. And I believe that the most exalted, at least for me, the most transformative way we can experience the scriptures as, as the very words of God is to grapple with them in all their humanity. I've come to love the Bible even more passionately as God's word because it comes to us in the dust of history, the grind of politics, and the gore of warfare. It conveys a history generated by people of faith on a complex and meandering journey of redemption and grace. The words of these particular people have become for us the very word of God, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift, a gift that points the way toward reclaiming blessed communities of shalom today and to God's eternal kingdom. Are you up for a new way of engaging in the holy scriptures of our faith? Let's have a biblical conversation. Hello, my name is Joel Allen, and I'm the host of Biblical Conversations. Biblical Conversations is a podcast dedicated to an honest conversation about the difficult aspects of the Bible with a goal toward developing an understanding that leads to faith, that leads to enhanced discipleship, and that leads to the development of, uh, of communities of faith. The topic for today is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are surprisingly complex. We may think that we know them. We may have memorized them as children. Well, there are 10 of them, so one for each finger. They're easy to memorize. But actually, there are several versions of the Ten Commandments in the Bible, and some of them are, one of them is strikingly different. 
There's also differences in the way people order the Ten Commandments. In other words, in the way that people understand what is commandment one and what is commandment two. There's differences of opinion on how to order them. And so the Ten Commandments are a bit more challenging than you might think. And so this podcast is uh, is designed to grapple with that hard issue, the difficult question, and then step back from it and say, okay, what can we learn from this? What can we, as people of faith, how can we understand what on the surface seems to be a contradiction? How can we understand this as people of faith? And so that's what this podcast is all about. The Ten Commandments, the main version of them that we know and that you've probably, uh, that you may have memorized as a child, is found in Exodus chapter 20. So the children of Israel by Exodus chapter 20 have made their way out of Egypt. They've had the singing their victory song at the sea in chapter 15. And they've come out of Egypt. They've already had the episodes with manna and quail. And uh, chapter 19, they arrive at the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and the Lord gives him the tablets and the Lord writes on them the words of the Ten Commandments. So it seems like they're truly set in stone, but it's not that simple. There are actually two other versions of the Ten Commandments. And so that's what we're going to look at in this podcast, the Ten Commandments. I uh, hope that you enjoy listening to this and that you listen on through the end. I will actually have some features after the basic conversation is completed. The conversation will be between myself, Adam Regels, and, uh, and Carl Kroger, who's a pastor in Piedmont, South Dakota in the United Methodist Church. He's also a graduate of Dakota Wesleyan University where I teach. He's a graduate of our religion department and so um, and so it'll be fun to have this conversation with Adam and with Carl. So the Ten Commandments coming up and I hope you really enjoy this episode. Thanks a lot and God bless. The Ten Commandments we think of as enshrined in stone, as being the center of the law of the Bible, the center of the moral code of God that gives us instruction as to how we live our lives in this world. And the point of this podcast, the big thing that we're going to be driving at in this podcast is to look at the different versions of the Ten Commandments. We think of them, as I said, as being set in stone and they are the center of our relationship with God. And yet the point of this podcast is to look at things that are difficult and confusing about the Bible and yet to do it in a way that's encouraging to faith. And this is a difficulty that a lot of people may never have faced when they read the Bible. They may not have noticed that there are actually competing or uh, differing versions of what constitutes these Ten Commandments. And there are differences on kind of two different levels. On one level, there are differences in the way people understand what's in and what's not in the Ten Commandments based on the Exodus 20 version. And there's difficulty in understanding uh, where the Ten Commandments are found in the Bible because there are three different versions. Some people think there's one or two. Most people would say two, but there's another version of the Ten Commandments which uh, 
which is a, a competing version. And so we think of these Ten Commandments as kind of enshrined in stone, and yet maybe they're a little bit more malleable than we realize. So the Ten Commandments in their narrative context are a place, an, the important place of Israel when they've uh, come out of Egypt, when they've celebrated their first Passover, when they're, uh, they're well on their way uh, to the Promised Land, and they're at Mount Sinai, and the Lord approaches them at Mount Sinai and meets them there on that holy mountain, which is kind of a center theme of the earlier chapters. And Israel expresses gratitude to God for bringing them up out of, the, out of this Egyptian slavery. And God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So their expression to God is based on this gratitude and excitement and enthusiasm for now we're free, we're no longer slaves. And how can we worship you, God? We want to worship you in a way that is fitting. And God says, okay, here we are. Here are my moral principles that you should follow. And so the, the, the people of God, as they're being created and being brought out of this collection of slaves, as God is creating a new people, these new people need several things to be a people. They need law, they need a place of worship, and they need a land. And so this is where they're receiving the law, the stipulations of the law to organize their lives once they're in the land. And then right in the next few chapters in the book of Exodus, God tells them, gives them the stipulations for how to build the tabernacle. And eventually that gets transformed into the temple. And finally, um, in, in the book of Joshua, because they wander for many years in the wilderness, they receive the land that is promised to them, the land of promise. The Ten Commandments are uh, are meant to be memorized. There are ten words, the ten big words, and we have ten fingers. So we have one for each finger. And in Hebrew, as I said, these are called the ten words. And they're understood as categorical statements of duty. There's a decalogue. Uh, and in fact, decalogue means ten words. And it's another way of saying when people refer to the decalogue, they're referring to the Ten Commandments. And it was understood as a summary of the covenant tradition that we have, this covenant relationship, this partnership with God and simplified stipulations for that partnership. How do we know who God is? How do we relate to God? How do we relate to each other? Well, the Ten Commandments fill that very important legal role, and they're, they're easy to memorize, they're easy to recite, and they're ways that we affirm our loyalty to God, the God of our salvation. So the main version of the Ten Commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. That's the base version, the famous version, the one that we always go to is Exodus chapter 20. But there are other versions. There's one in Deuteronomy 5 and another version in Exodus chapter 34, which we will get to. A lot of folks may not realize that there's a difference between the way Jewish folks understand the order of the Ten Commandments and the way Christians do. We're going to focus right now on comparing the Protestant understanding of the order and the Jewish understanding of the order. The Catholics have a little bit of a different order, but for right now, we'll just look at the Protestant order and the Jewish order. Not to leave the Catholics out, but I just am interested in this particular comparison. 
the Jewish people understand the first uh, commandment to actually be the words, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. To Protestants and to Catholics, that's just background information. But to Jews, this is the first commandment. It's the commandment is really, remember that I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And then the second commandment to the Jews is you shall have no other gods but me. And they take the words, you shall not make for yourselves an idol, which is the, the second commandment for Protestants. They take that and make it to like a, a part of the other command. And so they, they tie those together. In other words, you shall have no other gods but me. And how do you do that? By not making idols. And then from that point on, really, uh, Protestants and Jews are, are much the same. We follow the same order, in other words. So three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Same for Protestants. With that, there are both three there. Four, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Protestants and Catholics keep it. I'm sorry, Protestants and and um, and Jews, that's the same. Five, honor your father and your mother. Six, do not murder. Seven, do not commit adultery. Eight, do not steal. Nine, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And 10, do not covet anything belonging to your neighbor. Those orders, so three through 10 are the same between Protestants and Jews. And the most important thing that I want you to remember is that for the Jewish people, the, the first commandment is actually, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So I think that's very interesting that remembering that the context of the Ten Commandments is so important. The meaning, the understanding, that this is how do we respond to the God who delivered us from Egyptian bondage. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about to the Jewish folks. And in these laws, God is saying, here's the way. Now that I've set you free from bondage, you are slaves, I've given you freedom. How do you respond? By, uh, by keeping and observing these laws. There are two categories of laws in the Exodus narrative right in this section of chapter 20, uh, chapter 20 through chapter 23. Two different sets of laws. The first set is the Ten Commandments itself. And as I said, these are ten words as they're said in Hebrew. And they're categorical commands. They're, they're true or they're commanded no matter what the circumstances are. And the language thou shalt and thou shalt not are, are what we could call categorical imperatives. They function as like constitutional law or covenant stipulations. But there's also another type of law, which is right next to it. It's, and this is called the Book of the Covenant. So there's a different law code right next to the Ten Commandments called the Book of the Covenant. And it's, uh, it's a very different type of law. We don't have the, the categorical thou shalt and thou shalt not type of laws here so much as we have laws that are case-based, as in, in this case, do this. In this case, do this. They're technically you call these hypothetical imperatives as opposed to categorical imperatives. So one of the famous ones is, is this one. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned. It's case-based. When this happens, here is the outcome. Here's what should be done as a result. And there are all kinds of these that, are, uh, that you can peruse at your leisure. So if someone leaves a pit open or digs a pit, I just am looking down randomly. So this is 21 
33. If someone leaves a pit open or digs a pit and doesn't, and doesn't cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit, uh, the owner of the pit shall make restitution, giving money to its owner, but keeping the dead animal. So the owner of the pit shall make restitution to the owner of the of the ox, keeping money to the uh, giving money to the owner, but keeping the dead animal. So another little stipulation. When this happens, here's what you should do. Now it should be pointed out that the Book of the Covenant laws are similar to law codes outside of Israel that other nations in their vicinity would have had. Other nations would, if they had looked at the Bible, they would have recognized these kinds of laws. There was usually a law of the goring ox out there. For some reason, all these laws have a law of gore, the goring ox. They must have had a real problem with goring oxes back then. But uh, they all have these types of laws. And the laws uh, regulate all different aspects of Israelite life at this time. And I would encourage you to read through them because it's a different law code. We don't talk about this one nearly as much as the Ten Commandments. Commandments, but it's a very interesting law code, and it's actually more law than the Ten Commandments because there are stipulations on what to do. <clears throat> so this law code, as I said, is similar to the laws that other nations at that time would have had, except that these laws tend to be completely egalitarian. There's no distinction made between ca uh, class of people. So you have different classes in the ancient world, and their their laws uh, the higher the class, the better off you are in terms of the way the law applies to you. And in, in the Bible, they are, they, these laws are strictly egalitarian. So while some of them might seem pretty brutal, especially the ones that uh, that regulate slavery, and there's many of these, in fact, the first few regulate slavery, many of these laws strike us as being brutal, and yet they often are, um, are mitigating the cruelties of the other law codes. And so these laws, when you read them, seem barbarian in some ways, but just keep in mind that they are, uh, they are stipulations that in their own time would have been seen as progressive and, and egalitarian. But so again, the Book of the Covenant uh, has laws that would have been similar to law codes outside of Israel, and the Ten Commandments are, are relatively unique. Why don't we take a look at the Ten Commandments that are found in Deuteronomy? For our purposes, the second version. It's actually the third, but it's the second in the order that we'll be looking at them. On the narrative level, uh, the Moses is here giving us his last will and testament. It's the, the sermon he preaches as he prepares himself to die and to hand over the reins of power to Joshua to lead them across the Jordan River and into the land of promise. And in this uh, collection of thoughts and exhortations, he gives a complete summary, or not summary, but a rehearsal of the Ten Commandments. And in, in this context, Deuteronomy tends to emphasize the intentionality and love as a motivating factor in following the laws of God. For instance, right in the next chapter, chapter 12, chapter 6, we have the famous words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. And the emphasis there is on loving God and not just serving him out of uh, slavish obedience, but loving God and being passionate about God 
uh, with an attitude of, of intentionality. And so it's that kind of background that uh, that w w that informs our look at the two different con commandments and kind of comparison between the two. So we're comparing Exodus 20, the version of the Ten Commandments there, and Deuteronomy 5. And two observations here that are where we see something a bit different. On the whole, these two sets of commandments are very similar to each other. But Deuteronomy 5 presents us with a different motivation for keeping the Sabbath. Exodus 20:11 says honor the Sabbath day because in 6 days God created the heavens and the earth. God blessed them and consecrated the seventh God blessed and consecrated the 7th day. So in Exodus the Sabbath day is consecrated by God who rested on the Sabbath. And so in honor and memory of the rest of God on the Sabbath we are to honor and rest on the Sabbath as well. Deuteronomy chapter 5 presents a bit of a different uh, point of view or a different interest in the reason why we should rest on the Sabbath. And it says here, when it says honor the Sabbath day, instead of saying because in six days God created, it says, remember that you were a slave in Egypt and I brought you out with a mighty hand. Therefore, the Lord commanded you to keep Sabbath. So, and then it goes on to emphasize that both servants and animals should get a rest on, should be able to rest on the Sabbath. And the emphasis there is clearly on resting and giving everyone a rest because you remember you were a slave in Egypt and you didn't like to be forced to work around the clock. You needed rest then and you should remember that you needed rest and, and appreciate rest and give rest now to others. So you should have learned your lesson back in Egypt not to be uh, overbearing in uh, forcing people to work for you. So give people rest. And that's the theme in Deuteronomy as opposed to the creation theme. It's a Passover theme again, as opposed to creation or deliverance from Egypt theme. It should be pointed out that this similar theme is actually found in Exodus also, not in the Ten Commandments, but in the Book of the Covenant. Because in the Book of the Covenant, in chapter 23, verse 12, we have a, a parallel passage to Deuteronomy where we have a, a, a similar law, a, a, a Sabbath law. So there's the Sabbath law in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. But there's also a kind of a rehearsal Sabbath law in the Book of the Covenant. And there it's stated a little bit differently. So this is 23, Exodus 23, 12. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest so that your ox and your donkey may have relief and your home-born slave and resident alien may be, be refreshed. So the emphasis again is on the importance of rest and even the resident alien, the person from another nation that's living as an alien in your midst, they should also get a rest. Everybody gets a rest because you you were slaves in Egypt and So let's move into Exodus chapter 34. And in, in in order to do that well, I think we need to put it in its narrative context. In the 
overall storyline of the book of Exodus. And we'll do this, do this very briefly. So back in Exodus chapter 20, we're getting up to 34, but let back, let's back up to chapter 20. Uh, in chapter 20, as you know, we have the Ten Commandments and then the beginning of the Book of the Covenant laws, which we've already talked about. Those are the case-based laws. And that takes us up roughly through chapter 24, where we have a new uh, affirmation ceremony. And then Moses uh, is on top of the Mount Sinai for chapters 25 through 31, where the Lord gives Moses the instructions for how to build the wilderness tabernacle. Moses comes back down off the mountain and we have the golden calf story. So Moses at the foot of the mountain sees this golden calf being made and he breaks the the, the uh, tablets that God had just given him. He breaks the tablets in his anger and, and issues uh, an, uh, condemnation on them for creating this golden calf. And, um, and this whole new covenant is now thrown into crisis. They just had said back in chapter 24, everything that the Lord says we'll do. And now they're breaking uh, the central commandment. And so um, so it throws the, the whole relationship with God into crisis. And then we move into chapter three and Moses has to kind of renegotiate this covenant with God so as to whether or not God will continue with Israel or with Moses. And there's kind of a humorous element in chapter 30, uh, 33 where Moses and God both say these words to each other. These, your people whom you brought out of Egypt, these people that are causing such difficulty and building golden calves, these, your people. So God says it to Moses. Moses, these, your people who you, whom you brought up out of Egypt. And Moses a little moment later says to God, Lord, these, your people whom you brought up out of Egypt. And it's just, it's a humorous episode where they're blaming each other for this mess. Then we get into chapter 34 and God, there's this, what we call a theophany where God appears to Moses in a powerful way. And this was the, the subject of our previous po podcast. Um, and so God appears to Moses in a powerful, powerful way and speaks these, these extraordinary words, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, which is kind of nice to know because they had just sinned a big one, the golden calf. And so, so that powerful statement of God's compassion, his willingness to forgive, his slowness to anger, which is the basis for this new uh, covenant, or not new covenant, but reaffirmed covenant that, uh, that they have with the Lord. So, so this, the chapter 34 from, is, is about this covenant that's established post-golden calf. So it's you could think of it as a, a new covenant, but it's not new. It's the old covenant, but a reestablished, reinvigorating covenant post-golden calf. Now, before again, before we get into the actual text of chapter 34, that, is, that seems to be a second version of the Ten Commandments or a third version. So we'll call the first version Exodus 20, the second version Deuteronomy 5, and the third version, just because it's so out there, uh, the chapter 34 version, which is the one we're talking about now. And so someone could say, before we even get into it, how, how do you even know that this is a different version of the Ten Commandments? How, what's the basis for your saying that? And so in order to show that, we'll just read the first few verses of chapter 34 
The Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets out of stone like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former ones, which you broke. So the you broke refers to the golden calf story where Moses breaks the Ten Commandments. Notice in this case, the, the um, Moses is to cut the tablets. The, pre the previous tablets were cut by God. Moses is to cut the tablets and God will write on them and the Lord writes on them the words which he wrote on the former ones. So the Ten Commandments. Be ready in the morning and do and uh, come up in the sorry. Be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. Okay, I don't need to go on here, but uh, there's some stipulations here about uh, setting up the the uh, conditions for God to give these um, these Ten Commandments. And the, what's interesting. Again, uh, evidence that this is the Ten Commandments over again. What's Besides the fact that God said he would write on them exactly the words that were on the former set of Ten, ten Commandments, the, the, it also, the language here is very much like the first set of Ten Commandments. No animal is supposed to go up on the mountain and Moses gets ready. And it also talks about Moses spending 40 days on the mountain like the previous time. So all of this stuff is like Ten Commandments over again. It's the same language. The only difference is it says Moses cut the two tablets out of the stone. Okay, so it sounds like the Ten Commandments. And then when you get to the very end, it's even clearer. It says uh, in verse 28, The Lord said to Moses, Write these words in accordance with these words. I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And he was where, there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And he neither ate bread nor drank water like the first time. Again, Ten Commandments. And then the very last words are the kicker. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So there we are. It's, it clearly is referring to the Ten Commandments, even though the, the, the actual stipulations are very different from the ones in the Ten Commandments, the ones that we know. So, when I, so the chapter 20 version. And the atheist Christopher Hitchens used to mock Christians about this. Like, you guys don't even know what's in your Ten Commandments. Don't you realize that, that the commandment, do not boil a baby goat in the milk of its mother, is in the Ten Commandments? And people go, no, it's not. That's not in the Ten Commandments. You go, oh, yes, it is. The Exodus 34 version, and it says the Ten Commandments. Okay, so let's just enumerate the commandments that are in Exodus 34. There's a prelude to these commandments. The commandments begin in verse 17, and 10 through 16 is a prelude which strongly emphasizes a strict separation from Canaanites. Then verse 17, you shall not make cast idols. 18, which is commandment 2. You shall keep the festival of unleavened bread. 19, which is commandment 3. All that first opens the womb is mine. All your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep. Commandment 4. No one shall appear before me empty-handed. Commandment 5. Six days shall you work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Commandment 6. You shall observe the festival of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. Commandment 7. 
Three times in the year all your males shall appear before the Lord God. And there's a little bit more there. And then commandment eight. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. The sacrifice of festival of the of the festival of Passover shall not be left until the morning. Commandment nine. The best of the first fruits of your ground shall you you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Commandment ten. You shall not boil a kid or a baby goat in its mother's milk. So there's the list. As you can see, it's very, very different from the list we're familiar with. And just a few things could be pointed out in reference to this. One is that the Exodus 20 list, the list we're more familiar with, the thou shalt and thou shalt not list, and the Deuteronomy 5 list, both the, the lists that are very similar, have nothing to do with festivals or really with the worship of God at all. This list actually had a lot about how you worship God. And there was uh, very little about how you live outside of that context. This Exodus 34 list is completely about proper worship, which makes sense because they've just had the golden calf, which was improper worship. So now they're really emphasizing proper worship. So all the festivals are mentioned in the Exodus 34 version, but there's a special emphasis on Passover. Passover is mentioned two times, and then it mentions the festival of weeks, the Shavuot. I was actually in Israel for Shavuot a while back, which is very interesting. So three times a year they're to gather in Jerusalem or uh, at their central place of worship, and it talks about the, the, the uh, time of the plowing and the, the uh, harvest time. And um, so it talks about the early ingathering and then the for the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year, which is the festival of booths. So this is in verse 22. And again, I'll read it. You shall observe the festival of weeks, that's Shavuot, the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. And that would be the festival of booths toward the end of the year, the high holiday season. So this uh, also two times mentioned that everyone is to appear before the Lord three times a year. And another thing about this uh, list that's kind of interesting is that uh, there are a, a festival calendar. There is a festival calendar also in the previous book of law that we talked about, the, the book of the covenant, which comes right after the Ten Commandments, about three chapters after the Ten Commandments or directly after the Ten Commandments. So, so this list has a set of festival uh, kind of description of how they are to follow these three major festivals. That description is in the Book of the Covenant, and then it's kind of repeated here. So that's this law is um, this set of laws has similarities to the Book of the Covenant. Uh, there are also three parallels that I'd like to mention very quickly that are parallels between the Exodus 34 version, the oddball version, and the Exodus 20 version. In other words, there are three places where the Exodus 20 version, the one we're used to, is similar to the Exodus 34 version, the oddball version. The first is they both prohibit the worship of other gods. The second, they both prohibit making of images. And third, they both prohibit keeping or prohibit command that the Sabbath day be kept. 
So we see that there's a large difference between the laws that are in Exodus 34 and the laws that we're familiar with in the Ten Commandments of Exodus 20. The laws of Exodus 20 are much about protection of the individual from to keeping people from harming one another. They command you to not murder, to not steal, to not covet. There are laws that, re, that, re, that regulate moral behavior. The Exodus 34 laws are much more interested in right worship, right ritual, right practice. They gauge and organize and define what it means to be an Israelite worshiper of the true God that delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. So these are laws that are associated with the tabernacle, with priests, with going to temple, with proper offering to God, much less concerned with ethics. There's no do not murder. There's no honor your father and mother. There's no do not commit adultery in this set of laws. So these do seem to be an alternative version of the Ten Commandments. And that's the problem that, uh, that I want to focus on when I have this conversation that is coming soon between myself and uh, Adam and Carl. Uh, one of my professors, when I was working on my PhD, David Aaron, has written on this set of laws. And he actually believes that the Exodus 34 laws are the earliest. So it seems very possible, at least, that these laws were originally written in a context where there is a debate going on about what should be considered the center point of the law, the center of God's will, which would be the Ten Commandments. And, and some people are out there going, look, what's most important is proper worship of God. This is where it all starts. All morality boils down to right worship, right relationship with God. If you have that right, then everything else should fall into place. And there seem to have been other people that would be more on the Exodus 20 side that would say, no, no, it's very important that we actually have some laws about our relationship with God and not offending him by creating idols, but we have most of the laws about uh, the way we relate to one another. We need to tell people they shouldn't covet, they shouldn't kill, they shouldn't commit adultery, they should honor their father and their mother. We need those kinds of laws in the Ten Commandments. And there must have been some kind of debate that, that may well, if this uh, way of seeing it is correct, that may well have been settled by pulling both the laws together and putting them into this narrative so that they each have a role in this narrative. And David Aaron thinks that the Exodus 34 version is the older version and that the uh, that it's later on in Israel's history, perhaps after the prophets arrive on the scene and start commanding people or urging people to to improve their the way they behave and to treat other people with more equity and kindness that uh, gave rise to the Ten Commandments, perhaps in the eighth century or even later. So that's, uh, that's one way of thinking about this. So Adam, why don't you just introduce yourself? You've already been on the last episode, but just yeah. say something about yourself. Sure, sure. So my name's Adam. I'm uh, Adam Ragles, I guess I should say my last name, but uh, I'm uh, Karen Regles' husband, and she is the, uh, the uh, full-time uh, ministry 
I'm director of ministries at Fusion Church here in Mitchell, and uh, I just get to be hanging out here with Joel, kind of helping him get this podcast off the ground. So that's kind of a little bit about me. I live here in Mitchell, South Dakota, work at Innovative Systems full-time, and work on the, I guess not work, but volunteer at the uh, with the worship team at Fusion Church as well. Um, I enjoy using technology in churches to um, help them further the uh, the mission of God. So that's that's kind of a little bit about me. Cool. Thanks, Evan. Carl, introduce yourself. So my name is Carl Kroger, and I pastor out in the Black Hills in Piedmont at Grace United Methodist Church, and uh, have been here for nearly six years, and I'm in ministry here with my wife, who also works um, in youth and children's ministry, and we have uh, three awesome kids who help me to be a better pastor in more ways than one, and uh, I consider it a great privilege to be in in ministry and to to be about the work of following Jesus and helping others to do the same, helping them to love God and to love their neighbor as themselves. And so, um, man, it's just a, it's an adventure. It has uh, challenges and excitement, um, but it's a great honor. And it's a honor and privilege to uh, join in this conversation today. Yeah, thanks, Carl and Adam. Um, so we've been discussing this, the whole issue, the problem that we have when we read the Bible with the Ten Commandments. We, we tend to think of the Ten Commandments as set in stone and, and literally inscribed in stone. And, uh, and, and yet when we look at them closely, we see, we talked earlier about some significant differences. They're not huge differences between the version in Exodus 20 and then the Deuteronomy 5 version, which is pretty close, but they've got some differences. And then you get to Exodus 34 and you've got these, you know, massively different tradition, which is, you know, um, very much all, all of the commandments in Exodus 34 deal with the worship of God in some way, how we worship God. And there's nothing that's strictly ethical, like thou shalt not kill. That doesn't even appear in Exodus 34. Uh, just, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there and hear your perspectives on the kind of the oddity of that situation, and then uh, and then throw some ideas at you that that I've been kind of working with the last few days, and see what you think. Well, it's such a fascinating dynamic to have um, these lists appear in different formats, and to have um, significant differences in them, especially with um, Exodus 34. You know, one of the things that I find just um, so thought-provoking is to think about the the setup and the context to Exodus 34 is that the tablets have have been smashed; they're broken. They've been smashed. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so the reason that we have them here again, the reason that we're having that God is having the conversation with with Moses is because we have to almost sort of start over. And, and he even says those tablets which you broke. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. He says, you know, I'll write this. I'll write the same words as were on the former tablets. Oh yeah, those ones that you broke, Moses. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that really shades the context, doesn't it? I, I think that that's a really interesting point because because it's this narrative context that I think is a real helpful way. We we think of law as like like statutory law that has 
kind of this invariable quality to it. But I think in the ancient world, they, you know, they set these laws in narrative contexts. And, you know, we don't have a narrative context. You don't get the Constitution and suddenly read about the narration of how, you know, Adam Hamilton worked on putting, you know, we don't get the narrative context. And laws in the Bible have these narrative contexts and the narrative. And I think the, the I think there's something to this idea that the laws are relative to the narration because because you think about there's there's all kinds of laws that shift. So yeah, the laws are dependent upon the context to a certain degree. And so the post so the post golden calf context is uh, focused on and uh, making sure that they don't do that again. Right, yes. Uh, perhaps uh, providing just uh, a bit of additional clarity and direction. Yeah, that was necessary in this new context. Yeah. Would you say, Joel, that, um, that the second, the Exodus 30, sorry, is that 24? The 34. 34, yeah. The Exodus mm -hmm. 34 version is a little more directed towards that moment. Yeah, where the first, the, the original, the more understood version of the Ten Commandments is a much more general directive. The yeah. wording, yeah, is that, much more general. That might be. I mean, it may, it might be that there, that there's a, a sense of crisis, you know, post Golden Calf, and that there's a, a desire to, uh, refashion the law to kind of heighten separation from, mm -hmm. from those that are going to provide a temptation to idolatry and. So yeah, it could be that there's a, the, 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 but it doesn't come across. I mean, the fact is, on the other hand, these are laws that are described as on Ten Commandments on gold, on, on tablets of stone, just like the other one. Yeah. The difference is that Moses uh, is chisels out the second set, where God chisels yeah, out the first, the first set. set. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but it, but they're still on stone. They're still. It's not like they just wrote them in a parchment, you know. Mm -hmm. So. So I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm tempted to say yes, but then on the other hand, I don't know. That doesn't. That's an interesting difference where Moses is chiseling them instead of God. Mm -hmm. Does that does that matter very much? Or is that just, I mean, the grand scheme of things? Well, I, uh, some people have suggested that the reason why uh, there's the shift there is because, because uh, to prevent any temptation to worship the tablets themselves. Wow. This is an old idea that people have suggested that the reason there's a shift is to prevent any any temptation to worship the tablet itself. And so Moses, just to, to make very clear, this is not something we're going to worship. He actually, you know, chisels it out himself. But but that's that's speculation. The fact is, the text doesn't really say. The text doesn't seem to make a big deal out of that mm -hmm. point. It just kind of mentions it in passing. So, yeah. So, any other kind of uh, ways to get our arms around this? Because I, I think I mentioned previously that this is something that, you know, Christopher Hitchens used to use as like a way to, you know, to, to, uh, excoriate people of faith by saying, look, you guys don't even know what's in the Ten Commandments. Your Bible is such a mess that, you know, you've got totally different groups of laws all claiming to be the Ten Commandments, and you don't even know which ones are in and which ones are out. And so, um, so. You know, for me, it reminds me in some ways of the gospel accounts of Jesus's life. Yeah. In the New Testament, and we do see some variety. Um, we see a lot of overlap, but 
um, we have we have different different witnesses. Yeah, yeah. And some of those stories um, through time, just they have a, a slightly different audience or a different perspective, and so they're they're all unique. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I see some similarities in, in what's happening yeah. here. Well, in in the accounting of what God is um, prioritizing for the people. Yeah, I think that's an interesting observation too. That you know we have we 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 do have ways in which we can say uh, a different set of perspectives based on a certain different background can be stereophonic and not and not contradictory. Um, because the fact is, you could say, okay, the first set of laws are important because they have this more moral nature to them, more a, moral, uh, a moral vibe. The last six, they're dealing with how we do And then, and, um, and, I, and one analogy that came to me that I thought might be helpful is the idea that these might be a little bit like the tension that we have in our constitution between the body of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. You know, there are very different sets of laws. There are very different emphases. Uh, and different parties ad- advocated for different, you know, like Adam, Adam Hamilton was a big enthusiast for the body of the Constitution. He hated the Bill of Rights. And, you know, George Mason and others, you know, they weren't going to even come close to signing a body of a Constitution without protections for the little guy. And they had, they had different emphases. One was power in Washington, the other was power outside of Washington, protection for So I kind of wonder if you might be able to see these as like, a, like the in other words, the writers of the Bible, the editors look at these two different sets, they realize that one set is kind of connected to like, hey, worship is, proper worship of God is where it's at. There's If you get that down right, that's the center of everything. That would be the Exodus 34 set. And others, other or ancient Israelites are like, you know, proper worship of God is where we start, but it's important to include in the actual Ten Commandments the how we treat each other. And so, and so somehow, especially in the pre-Golden Calf, post-Golden Calf worlds, that one set seemed to resonate better in that world and another set seemed to resonate. But now from our perspective, where we have both of them, they can function like the Bill of the Bill of Rights, you know, that they can both have value in their different emphasis, emphases, and the the tension between them can be more of a plus than a minus. I don't, I don't know. That's the one analogy that we might might look to. question, Joel. Sure. Um, this is something I've been kind of curious about for a while, but maybe it'll kind of show my ignorance as well. But um, so what really, what differentiates the, you know, 600 laws in mm-hmm. places like Deuteronomy? Right, right, right. There's right. many other laws that are, mm-hmm. you know, spoken of as laws for the Jewish people. But what, what separates those from the Ten Commandments and then this version of the Ten Commandments? Why, why isn't it like, okay, now we have 10, now we have 30 laws. Right. Are right. they referred to as all laws right. or is it separate somehow in yeah. the Jewish faith or what? Well, actually they, in the, the, the long version, they, the, they actually 611 laws, yeah, which yeah. is really interesting because if you actually take the word Torah, 
And, you know, letters are also numbers in Hebrew. So every word could actually also be a number. And if you take the number to the word Torah, it actually adds up to 611, oh, okay. which is really cool. And then the, a lot of rabbis would say, but there are two others because the rabbis would say that uh, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt is the first commandment. And so if you add that one in, you have 612. And then they also have the Shema and here was Israel, the Lord, they got is one. So that's how you get 613. You have 611 actual laws and then they add those two and get 613. And then they would all, they also said that there are 365 um, negative laws, thou shalt not, or laws that were in some way negative. Mm -hmm. And then I forget exactly how many positive, I guess you could do the math and figure that out. But, um, but, uh, and then there was this whole tradition of, okay, <clears throat> how do we, are there ways that we can think of the laws as being reduced to a smaller number? So one rabbi might say, uh, if you look at, uh, Psalm 24, there's actually a whole bunch of commandments in there. And, say, and he said, this is the simplified 11 laws. Mm -hmm. So this is an, a, th these are 11 laws, which are, you know, like the summation of the law. And then another would say, you know, Isaiah said that, you know, and they had then it gets down to uh, Amos says, seek the Lord and live. So Amos boils it down to one. Micah boils it down to three, you know, uh, thou shalt, um, uh, to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. It's That's the three. So they had all kinds of ways of kind of thinking of the law. And one rabbi actually said that there's, besides there being all these different laws, there's a, a fundamental uh, precursor to all the laws, and that is that, uh, that the just shall live by faith in Habakkuk which is so interesting because that's Paul's whole notion of just living the just. Yeah. He quotes that as like the fundamental principle for all the law. But believe it or not, that idea was actually in rabbinic thinking too, that the just shall live by faith underlies all the law. So the fact is they had many, many different ways of kind of conceiving of the law. And so, but the 10 commandments, I mean, in the ancient Israel, were and, and of course even if you go to a synagogue you see the ten commandments inscribed mm -hmm. up on the on the in the uh, the ark to the Torah scrolls. Um, so the ten commandments are considered at the end of the day the fundamental center of the law, and they always consider the Exodus twenty version mm -hmm. as rabbis and Christians always do that. But the fact is, you know, we have these two other sets right sure. that we're that we've been discussing. Yeah, it is a perplexing thing. It is yes, a perplexing yeah, thing. Yeah. And I, I do think that there's some, that the writers of the Bible were smart people. They were good editors. They weren't bumbling around. And they somehow looked at this as a better whole, including both sets of Ten Commandments right near mm -hmm. each other and connected in the narration. Mm -hmm. So they saw this as a stronger legal system and I think it has something to do with the golden calf, you know, so, but, but there again, it's, it's, you know, maybe more internal rather than external. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Carl, what are your thoughts? You know, one of the questions that I have is, is thinking about it, as you were talking about, as this is all coming together, the, the different um, sources that are contributing to mm -hmm. these accounts and uh, 
perhaps there being some some different priorities in reflecting on what happened and what's important for the people to know and to follow. Yeah. Um, and um, I'd love for you to share a little bit more on that, but I, I do just want to add that I, I love the idea that 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 it's all there. Um, that there wasn't uh, this sense of oh well, there's some a little bit of uh, discontinuity here, and we need to take this out. But th this is all there, and and we're yeah. going to rest with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were comfortable with the with a change in law that was related to a new context, the post uh, golden calf context, and and yet and and it's all good. It's all. There's this like this inclusive um, vibe of this set of law, Ten Commandments. Hey, this set of law, Ten Commandments. They're all great commandments. We can't <laughs> choose between them. Right? Yeah. So, but on this day, you know, for this kind of set of circumstances, when we're just coming out of Egypt, and this is a good set of laws. But now, and under these set of circumstances, this is a good set because maybe this is, you know, for Tuesdays and Thursdays when we're having these kinds of struggles, we need this set, you know. And, so yeah, there, there, but there is something, is something a, a, a strong inclusivity there, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah, I really um, like. Sorry, I really okay. like what you said, Carl, about uh, you know the the idea that they didn't remove something that maybe wasn't perfectly on message, right? I mean, right. you're kind of saying that that you know, like they weren't trying to, you know, it happened, so we're gonna put it in there. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not like we're gonna you know, try to pick and choose and cut out more and more and more until it's, you know, very specific, but then you're not recording what truly, truly happened. Right, right. And I can kind of imagine myself, if I was going through this, I'd be like, no, I just need one Ten Commandments. I'm going to cut this <laughs> that's out. Right, that's I'm right. Gonna, yeah. Gonna, yeah. But if that had happened, we wouldn't have this richness. Right. We wouldn't have, right. you know, the true story of how it occurred. So. And, you know, I, I, I keep coming back in my own mind to this idea that, that um, that commandments or the laws in the Bible are relative to context, and it it occurs to me the most powerful illustration of that is is our own Christian response to the Ten Commandments because the fact is we keep nine of the ten, right? And we we keep nine because of the resurrection because we worship on Sunday because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday, and so so it's almost like when the resurrection occurred, Christians are like this changes everything. It changes. It even changes our relationship with the Ten Commandments, because for crying out loud, you know, honoring the Sabbath to keep it holy is in every single version, and we do not keep it. So, uh, so it, it's interesting that that it that there is a sense in which these are context relative, and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. But it's a concept that went, I think, really to the core of the of the biblical perception because in fact these are each given to us in a in a narrative context we do not have these you know like i in the next room here i've got a, co a copy of the bill of rights there's no narration around that you know but i've got narration around the biblical law and it's important to keep it in that uh, and that's keep that in mind
there's another helpful idea that I would like to share that has, has become kind of a new concept for me as I've continued to study the law and learn about it and the way biblical law functions uh, and doing some reading and, and research. Actually, I listened to a podcast recently by, uh, by the Bible Project. I really enjoy the Bible Project podcasts. Uh, my podcast has a different goal. It, we're looking more at the problems that we face when we uh, understand the Bible, the difficult, the dark side, the biblical, uh, uh, the Bible Project is not that. But it's a terrific podcast and I really enjoy listening. They've recently been talking about biblical law and they make some uh, distinctions that were very helpful for me and also that matched perfectly with some of the reading I was already doing. Biblical law does not uh, apply to courts. It's not juridical. It's not statutory. The notion of statutory law is a modern one. And just so we know what we're talking about, statutory law is law written by an authorized body or prescribed by an authorized body for reference and appeal for later periods of time. So statutory law is law that's written for, for reference and appeal. The Constitution is statutory law. And so we, any court has, uh, they, or it's all online now, but, but when a question arises, you'll have, uh, have lawyers pouring over books of law that are inscribed for reference and appeal. And you, you make a case based on, on established law. Biblical law is not that way. There's not one instance in the Bible where the where the Bible's laws are made ref, referenced back to in terms of for to settle a case later. Uh, there's that it just doesn't exist in the Bible. There are pe times people refer back to them, but not in a juridical context. Biblical law is more like, and I should say, uh, the the notion of statutory law is a is a modern notion. So it arose in the Middle Ages, but in the biblical world, the, the idea of statutory law hadn't even arisen yet. So biblical law can't be that. The biblical law is more like what we would think of as bylaws. So the difference between law and bylaw is that law is, as I already said, uh, statute, statutes written or prescribed by an authorized body for reference and appeal. That's just a, a definition I made up or came up with, but it's based on the, on the, the actualities. Uh, bylaws are organizational agreements. They're rules of the road for a, a kind of mutual consent for uh, behavior of those who are uh, participating in a body of, uh, of uh, uh, organized body. So if you're starting a not-for-profit or you're starting a church or something like that, you come up with bylaws and the bylaws are rules of the road. They're not law, but they're based in law. There are laws out there organizing how not-for-profits have to operate and the bylaws have to fit into the broader context of the law, but they're not law. The bylaws are, are only organizational agreements. And biblical law is more like that. And that's why it fits that context so well. When they're coming out of Egypt, these are the, how do we respond to you, God? What kind of, uh, of what, how do we express our gratitude to you for your delivering us from Egypt? And God says, well, here's my law. This, this is what I want you to do. And so it's more like a, a, a participating agreement. It's interesting that there, that even uh, the famous law codes like Hammurabi's law code uh, are, are actually bylaws. They're not, or maybe not bylaws, but they're they're not judicial. 
there and and um, the Hammurabi's code, if you've not heard of it, was discovered in 1901 in what's modern day Iran, and it was a very important legal code as a, 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 draw, a etching of Hammurabi uh, receiving the law from Shamash, the god Shamash, and. Um, and what's interesting about this law and what makes it helpful to understand biblical law is that uh, the Hammurabi's code was copied many, many times. There are thousands of copies of this out there in the ancient world. And this happened was going on for for almost 1500 years where people would continue to to uh, reinscribe. Hammurabi's code. And yet, at the same time, we also have thousands and thousands of legal documents from the uh, ancient Near Eastern period of time at the same period of time that Hammurabi's code was being inscribed. We have thousands of legal documents. And here's what's shocking. There's not one instance in which Hammurabi's code is cited or appealed to by a later legal document. So you have these legal documents and disputes of all kinds of varieties. Not once does anybody cite Hammurabi's code. And when something comes up in these later legal documents that is directly of relevance that Hammurabi's code speaks about, when that happens, they never do what the code says to do. The code may say to charge them one mina and they will they will set the rate at 15 minas, even though uh, Hammurabi's code says gives already gives the amount to charge in this case. And so these laws were not seen as uh, as statutory. What they were seen as 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 teaching tools. They were not seen as judicial. They were seen as teaching tools. They were seen as didactic. They were instructional. They were to be a provide an example. This is what wise moral thinking and wise uh, judicial practice or wise, uh, and you could say judicial practice because it's true in a sense. This is an example of that. And so, um, and so these laws were, were, were understood as having a narrative context and as, um, as having as being uh, uh, didactic and instructional rather than judicial, and I think that's really helpful as we think about the difference between these different uh, versions of the Ten Commandments. That they were not seen as being uh, as being uh, having a judicial function that they would later be appealed to when you have to have exactly the same thing. No, they they were much. They, their, their concept was just different. It was more teaching. And there are all kinds of ways that you could teach these in all kinds of settings where you might want to emphasize something different. So if you have a set of church bylaws and something major happens, the church acquires some new property or there's something major that happens in the church, you might have to change the bylaws to fit the new situation. And that's not a problem because they're not set in stone in any way. And so even though the Ten Commandments are set in stone, are literally inscribed in stone, their, their understanding was more that they were organizing agreement to this relationship with God. And, uh, and so if the relationship with God changes, then, uh, then uh, the, the agreement can change. Just the way in the Christian world, because of the resurrection of Christ, we no longer keep the fourth commandment quite the way that was originally intended. Now we spiritualize it and we say, okay, we're going to honor the Sabbath day in the sense that we'll go worship Christ, worship the risen Christ on Sunday morning. And so it was a this changes everything kind of thing that to Jews that just doesn't wash. You've got to do it on Saturday and you've got to actually stop working and, you know, really observe it. Whereas Christians don't. We spiritualize it. And that is appropriate for the new context. And so 
these are bylaws, they're not laws. And I think that's a very helpful way of thinking about it. Okay, so that's the end. Uh, the, coming up after this, there will be a little bit more information that uh, I put together and just stuck in at the bottom kind of for, for further reading. But I do want to just close by again saying thank you to Adam and Carl and to um, and to encourage you to subscribe, to like, to post it to your wall, to tell about a friend about biblical conversations. Thanks and God bless. Well, that was a lot of fun. I really appreciate Adam and Carl and the time that they took to help me uh, and to, to participate in this interview. I really appreciate you guys and you had great insights and, and some really interesting questions. I do realize I didn't answer Adam's question as well as I would have liked. I really didn't answer it at all. But uh, Adam asked, uh, what's the difference between the 611 laws that are in the Bible generally and the Ten Commandments themselves? Is there anything that differentiates them? And there really is, besides some of the form programmatic things which I've already mentioned, like the Ten Commandments being uh, being categorical commands as opposed to the a lot of the other laws being in a different format uh, when this happens do this besides that the 10 commandments in exodus 20 are the only set of laws in the bible where god speaks to people in general or not to people in general but to the people of israel that were there at the at the foot of the mountain do you remember the story? Moses goes up on the mountain, but God speaks the laws to the people because right after that, they, they plead with him after he comes down from the mountain and they say, don't do that again. Don't let God speak directly to us. Let God speak from here on out to you and then you tell us what God said. And so the Ten Commandments are the only set of laws where God speaks directly to uh, the people at the foot of the mountain. And that has to say something about their, their special importance. So uh, there's also the fact that in Exodus 31, it speaks of uh, verse 18, I think it speaks of the uh, Ten Commandments being written by God's own finger. The Exodus 34 version talks about God writing the Ten Commandments on a tablet that Moses cuts out. And then at the very end, it speaks about Moses writing the Ten Commandments. And the way I've understood that is that God writes it in the sense of God dictating it, and Moses writes it in the sense of Moses uh, actually inscribing it. But uh, so it's different. The other set of Ten Commandments say it's written by God's very finger, and Moses just receives them. So that also emphasizes the importance of the, the and the specialness of the uh, Exodus 20 version of the Ten Commandments. And the fact that they're also repeated in the book of Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy 5. Again, this, the Ten Commandments in Exodus uh, 20 are, are special, a special set, and there's an actual programmatic reason why Christians and Jews say that that is the most important version. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up with three helpful thoughts that just kind of bring this all together. One, it's helpful to remember that we're not dealing in, in the Bible, we're not dealing with statutory law, but didactic expressions of God's nature and God's ways. These aren't meant, the biblical laws, whether they're the Ten Commandments or outside of the Ten Commandments, aren't statutory. They're never used in a statutory way. The whole concept of statutory law hadn't developed yet and wouldn't develop for uh, many years after that. So these are not statutory, but they're meant 
to teach us something about God. So when we read the Ten Commandments, you can learn something about God, what God is like God's, and how we relate to God. When you read the Book of the Covenant laws, they have that same kind of function. They illustrate what justice in the land looks like, which is what God wants. The second uh, thing to remember is that these laws would function more like modern bylaws would function uh, as rules for the road, uh, rules for a specific context. So they have this contextual function and they're not meant to be juridical, but they're meant to be uh, to be like rules of the road or stipulations that govern how we relate to one another. And so uh, the Exodus 34 set are different from the Exodus 20 set because Exodus 34 is is a post golden calf world. And so it's a set of laws meant to recover their uh, their connection to God after the golden calf. So it's meant to ramp up separation from Canaanites who might um, who might attempt them to do similar things. So bylaws are specific to a specific context, and it makes sense that bylaws would be that way rather than constitutional law. Okay, and then the third thing that I'd like to point out is that the analogy to the Constitution still can work, even though I was saying that these aren't law, they're bylaw, and the Constitution is definitely law, but still, uh, it's that definitely statutory and juridical. But still, um, if you think of the of, of the of just a pattern, a set of agreements for governing a relationship that you might have, then um, then then some of them could be about uh, giving strength to the group and some of them might be about uh, protecting the rights of the individual. And we do see something of that difference between the Exodus 20 and 34 sets, although the Exodus 20 set is more about protecting the individual with the individual things, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's stuff. And then the Exodus 34 set being more focused on uh, protection or solidifying the power of the group, uh, worshiping God rightly together as a community. So there we go. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. It's been a long haul here, and I appreciate you sticking up with this. And I've learned a ton as we've gone through this. It's amazing how much I've learned, and I still am very curious. I want to learn more and, and have uh, ordered some books even to further my knowledge about how law works. But uh, we're going to um, uh, next. Uh, well, I won't guess what we're going to do next because I'm sure I'll change my mind anyway, but I'll try to get a, a an episode out in June. Uh, I'm going to Uganda in a few days on a mission trip. And so uh, so if you hear this, uh, please be praying for us. I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, subscribe, share, like, all that stuff. We'll be hoping to get a Facebook page together soon. Uh, but take care and God bless. Thank you.